Well, good morning. I want to welcome you to Central once again, where we seek transformation of our lives and our community and the whole world through the renewing work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Before we turn to the word this morning, let me say thank you to so many of you who have said you'll be praying for my family as we have our upcoming sabbatical. Many, if not most of you, received the email update that was sent out this week with some details about it and this wonderful, wise provision that the session has of enabling our pastors to take sabbaticals after a number of years of service. It's part of our normal rhythm of ministry together. We'll be traveling some, we'll be uh, spending some time together, we'll be resting a lot so that when we return later this summer, we'll be refreshed for ministry together here at Central. I'm grateful for our session's wisdom and generosity to invest in the pastors who serve you. These elders are good men. And I'm grateful to have the privilege of serving alongside them, and I look forward to doing that for years to come. Next week, I'll be in Portugal speaking at a conference for missionaries there, the Perez family, maybe you remember them, Randy Mayfield and I will be there together at this conference, and so pray for us in this ministry next week. We'll be back on the 15th, and I'll preach the remaining, the last sermon in the Galatians series, and then sabbatical begins on May 16th. Again, thank you for your prayers and for your continued love for my family demonstrated in this gift of a sabbatical. I'm going to turn your attention to Galatians chapter 5. We'll study verses 16 to 24 this morning. Last week, if you were here, we saw how the work of Jesus justifies us, makes us right and righteous in God's sight, and it frees us to lean into that hope of righteousness that awaits when he returns. But there's a gap, isn't there? There's a gap in between who we already are in Christ and who we not yet will be when he returns. And that, that gap, that waiting time introduces tension. So how do we live in this space? It's not merely waiting, but by the Spirit's power, we grow. We grow up into who Jesus calls us to be. How does that look in our lives? Well, let's pray as we turn our hearts to the word. Father, we ask that you would send the Spirit and exalt Christ in our eyes. Would we see him and know him and have our lives to to be transformed like his by your power, Holy Spirit? If you don't work, we will not change. So we ask that you would work with your word this morning and make us like the Lord Jesus. In his name we ask it. Amen. Galatians 5, beginning in verse 16. But I say... Walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you're led by the Spirit, you are not under law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, and divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and these and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, 
gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God will stand forever. When I served Central before, as an associate pastor before returning, Missy and I lived in University City and we had two hackberry trees in our front yard. And those are just awful trees. (laughs) University City planted them in the, the strip of grass between the curb and the sidewalk and one of our trees was alive and one of them was dead. And it was very easy to tell the difference. <laughs> one of them had leaves and berries at certain times of the year and the other simply stood lifeless with these long thorns that would prick you. Whenever you got too close, you could see the difference that life made in that tree. Paul's point for us this morning is that if the Spirit of God is alive within us, it makes a difference. You can see, you can tell our lives are different when we've been made alive together with Christ. It's a way that we go through life, and Paul calls it walking here in verse 16. He uses that metaphor again and again in all of his writings, and it's a metaphor that stands for how we live our lives, what we pursue, what we do. And he says at the beginning of chapter 5, we have been given freedom with Christ, and now he shows us that freedom is so that we fight our sin. We walk with the Spirit in this fight against our sin. But that's not exactly how the Judaizers that came from the Jerusalem church would have looked at this list. They would have thought about this list of behaviors in this way. If we behave, then we can belong to God. They would see this as you have to behave according to God's commands if you have ever a hope of belonging to God. You have to perform before you can receive the promise of God's gift. And the Apostle Paul says, no. The Gospel of Jesus says, no. And verse 24 makes it as clear as it can possibly be. He says, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Those who belong to Christ through faith, in those the Holy Spirit changes how we behave. And you can't ever reverse that order. Those who belong to Jesus have the Spirit at work within us to change our behavior, to crucify our desires. That's what Paul means by walking in the Spirit. How do we understand this life that all have been called us, that have called all of us into here? Well, first, walking in the Spirit expects conflict. It expects conflict. It's never easy to walk in the Spirit because living in the flesh is the easiest thing in the world. It's just doing what comes naturally to us, doing what comes out of our natural sinful nature. But the truth is that if we are in Christ, we don't have the freedom to live that way. We live with an ongoing conflict in our lives. Listen to how Paul describes it in verse 17. He says, the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Now, when he describes flesh, he's not talking about your skin. 
He's talking about the you without the Spirit of God making you alive. He's talking about the natural you, the sinful nature within you and me. And he says that sinful nature is in in opposition to what the Spirit of God is doing within us. There's an ongoing conflict in this walk in the Spirit. And it's more than just two opposing sides, like politics. The metaphor is more like it's a fight to the death. It's that kind of conflict. It's like lines that are facing one another in trench warfare, just a few yards separating one another. There's no man's land in between, and there's the life of the spirit, and then there's the life of the flesh, and it's hand-to-hand combat between these two. That's the imagery. It's a fight to live for Jesus. The conflict is between these battle lines, but don't misunderstand and think that the fight is between equal powers. Verses 17 and 18 assure us to know that if there is conflict within you for righteousness, then there's a cause, and it is the Spirit of God taking up residence within you. He is at work to produce different desires than the desires of our sinful flesh. Now think about that for a moment. Think about the magnitude of that. If we have desires for righteousness that war with our desire for sin, it's only there because the Spirit of God is alive within us. Think about what that means. That If we belong to Christ, if your, your life is now defined by the presence of the third person of the Trinity, alive and at work within, in, within you, Think of the magnitude, God himself, the creator God, the sustainer God, the one who spoke everything into existence. That God has taken up life within you to produce different desires within you. If that third person of the Trinity, if the Holy Spirit is alive within you, then your fleshly desires can be changed. They can be altered if we belong to God. He is at work within us, changing us from the inside out. The truth is even driven deeper by pointing out that our flesh was put to death. It's defeated already. He says in verse 24, it's been crucified. Now that's an intentional reference back to chapter two, where Paul tells us we were crucified with Christ. That By the power of Christ on the cross, our sin has been put to death. And it's through his work, he was crucified. We were crucified together with him. Our sin has been nailed to the cross. It's all done. So we have hope. We can have an expectation of change. We can find strength. We can have a hope of knowing that the enslaving power of our sin has been broken because we've been crucified together with Christ. And the Lord has sent to us the Holy Spirit. He's alive within us to provide a certain power of victory over our sin. Today, while we're living in that in-between spot between we've already been saved and yet we're not yet who we will be when we see Jesus face to face, in that in-between space we expect conflict because the Spirit of God is at war with your flesh. It's an ongoing conflict at war with your flesh. So friends, don't sign surrender papers against your sinful desires in your heart. Don't make a truce with your sin because through being joined to Jesus through faith, the power of the Spirit of God breaks the controlling power of sin in your life. Its power is broken. But I want you to listen to me very carefully. The power of your sin has been broken broken 
even though its presence remains until you are face to face with Jesus. The power, the corrupting power, the destruction of your sin, all of its enslaving power has been defeated. It's been crucified even though your sin remains in your life until Jesus comes again or you go be with him in heaven. Let me say it a different way. Because sin's power has been broken, you have been given the ability to say no to your sin. Because the controlling power of sin is broken, you now have the strength through the Spirit to say no to your sin and yes to godliness. We make so many excuses and I'm just really tired. And really it's the giving in to the power of our sin. Or I've had a really hard, long day at work, so we don't say it, but we think in our minds, it justifies my unkind grading behavior against my family. But the Bible tells us the power of those sins to dominate and control us, its power has been broken, even though the remnant of that sin remains in us. Now, some of us underestimate the power of the Spirit to help us obey. There's no way I can do it. You're forgetting all about the Spirit of God living within you. Others of us underestimate the presence of sin that remains within us, and it seeks to destroy us. And we toy with it, we play with it, we don't think it's gonna hurt us, but our sin is out to destroy you. We need to have a sober mind about both, the power of the Spirit who remains within us and the sin that is there too. It's been broken even though it remains. There may be sins that you battle every day for the rest of your life. Now, some of those sins might be on the list of the works of the flesh we saw in verses 19 to 21. There may be sins in your life, in your flesh, that have been there every day of your whole life. You can't remember your life without fighting against that sin. And yet, walking in the Spirit here looks like in his power, you don't have to give in to its temptation. You don't have to give in to its sinful desires, but the Spirit enables us to say no to them. Saying no to our sin manifests the power of the Spirit of God within you, even if those sinful desires never fully go away. The power of your sin has been broken, although its presence still remains. Paul tells us, about this ongoing conflict. That's why our sin remains even though its power is broken and it is a conflict, it is a war between the spirit and our flesh. For example, if you're anything like me, perhaps you battle selfishness. That fleshly impulse that says self first and it's always there. It hasn't gone away. I've been walking with Jesus for 45 years and it's never gone away. It's probably going to be with me until I see Jesus face to face. That selfish drive, that selfish impulse and yet the spirit of God is alive within me and you and his victory is when I'm tempted to say yes to self first, he enables me to say no and occupy a place of humility. That's what the Spirit's victory, that's what the Spirit's dynamic work in you looks like with that sin and other sins that may appear on that list of verses 19 to 21. Maybe you've had lust in your life and its power is broken and yet its presence is still there. It's been there and you keep saying, Lord, take it away and he's not yet taken it away. His power is broken. 
You have the strength to say no to it by the, by the power of the cross and the presence of the spirit within you. You can say no to those sinful desires. Maybe it's not a sexual sin. Maybe it's in a different part of the list or strife or anger or envy or sowing seeds of dissension in your life or others' lives. The Spirit is there to help you say no to those sinful desires and yes to walking in the power of the Holy Spirit who produces holiness within you and me. Since power has been broken, although its presence remains, don't be discouraged. Do you recognize a struggle within your soul? That's good because your soul is experiencing war by virtue of the fact that the Spirit of God has taken up residence within you and he's making you different, he's making you new. So take heart because the Spirit is fighting within you. He's enabling you to obedience, he's strengthening you, he's nourishing you, he's enabling you to fight for your life. But if there's not a struggle against your sin, It could be that the only occupant of your heart is your own flesh. Walking in the Spirit teaches us to expect an ongoing conflict. Power of sin's broken, but its presence remains. Secondly, walking in the Spirit sets our feet along a different path. It's a divergent road that Paul lays out before us here. It's like those two trees in my front yard, one that is dead and one that is alive, and you can see the difference. The path of the flesh, he says, is the works of the flesh, beginning in verse 19, and he lays out sensual living and sexuality and immorality and all the rest, and all of those words together mean sexuality that's outside the bond of the marriage covenant between a man and a woman. And it extends all the way to flaunting our sexuality in a public way and everything in between. That's what he says, the works of the flesh, of the sensual living. Now in our world, and sometimes in our own hearts, these acts of sexual immorality are done and we say, well, I'm doing it because I love you. When in actuality, they're the opposite of love. Love is a fruit of the Spirit. It genuinely seeks what is best for the other. It gives of self for the other. But sexuality outside the bonds of that covenant marriage is about what feels best for me. It's not life-giving and self-giving expression connected to a promise of marriage, but rather it's what feels good for me right now. Paul calls it a work of the flesh. He keeps going by talking about false religion, idolatry and sorcery and destroyed relationships with envy and rage and jealousy and picking fights with one another. He calls it intemperate excesses of the pleasure-seeking behavior of verse 21. It's interesting to me to see all of these variety of sins and all these different backgrounds that we are warned against. And in our culture, especially in the church, we have majored on the segment of sexual sins. And those are really heinous. Those are scandalous. While the other things on this list are really no big deal. They're, they're more acceptable churchy sins like jealousy and envy and dissension and rage. But you know, a life given over to those sins, the scandalous and the accepted ones, all come from the same place. Our fleshly hearts, our works of the flesh. We can't Pretend like one is bad and the other is not so bad. They all begin with our flesh and they end in the same place. Get verse 21. 
those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now that's a troubling verse, isn't it? That's difficult because I know things about my life. There are these kinds of things in my heart. So what does Paul mean here in this verse about those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God? Well, what he does not mean is that if you do any of these things, you have no relationship with God. That's not what he means. All of us are sinners. All of us are nailed by at least part of this list. In fact, that's why Paul says it's an ongoing conflict because we do some of these things on that list. So what does he mean then? Well, clarity comes when we focus on the verb that Paul chose to say do. It's a Greek verb that has the tense of habitual action. So what Paul is seeming to say is that not pointing out a momentary sin, but a pattern, habitual unchecked pattern in our lives. Think about it this way. He's not talking about someone who takes a camera and takes a photograph in your life. You see a slice in the life, one little moment, one segment of your life where the Many of these things could be in our hearts and our lives, right? Instead, what he's talking about is the movie. He's talking about a motion picture, not a a snapshot, but the motion picture of your life over the course of time, what characterizes your life? Is it filled with unchecked embrace of these sorts of works of the flesh? Is it filled with these things unchecked? Do you not worry about them? But they're always there and you really don't care. You just indulge them over and over and over and over and over. It makes no difference. Or is it a snapshot? A segment of my life. Yes, Lord, I've done it again. But I hate it. I hate these things and I want my life to change, Lord. That is the stirring of the Spirit of God. I hate these things and I want my life to change. That's the stirring of the Spirit of God within you and me. You see, repentant sinners are not kept out of heaven by the presence of sin, but rather a lack of repentance demonstrates that our hearts haven't tasted of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and our flesh is still firmly in control of our hearts. Are you a person who sees your sin and repents, turning away from your sin and turning to the Lord? That's walking in the Spirit. If we belong to Christ, as Paul says in verse 24, our call is to repent of our sin and believe in the work of Christ and then fight by the power of Spirit. Fight against our sinful nature. Walking in the Spirit is repent, believe, and fight all in His power. Is that what your life looks like? Repenting and believing and fighting in His power. It tells us a little more about what that kind of life looks like in this other path. It's the path of the fruit of the Spirit of verse 22. The demonstrations of the fruit are plural. There are nine qualities lifted here, but he uses a singular word for fruit, meaning there's one character that's being formed by the Spirit of God, and it grows in at least these nine ways. This is a representative list. This isn't an exhaustive list of of what the Spirit does within us. I mean, humility's not even on here, right? This is a representative list. And if you take a step back, what you'll see is Paul is pointing out the character of Jesus here. It's the character of Jesus that's being formed in his people by the power of the Spirit. And we don't have time to dig into every one of these fruit this morning, but think about that truth. It's the character of Christ that's set on display, being formed in you by the Spirit. That's what the fruit of the Spirit is. 
When the Spirit produces these character qualities in your life, you are becoming more like Jesus. And we talk about that every week. Submission of our church, our vision of our church, transforming our lives and our communities and the world through the renewing work of the Lord Jesus. Are we looking more like this? Are we looking more like Christ, having his character formed in us, in the ways that we live, in the ways that we live toward other people? That's what these fruit of the Spirit are, characteristics of how we live our lives toward others. We love other people. We exhibit joy in the presence of others. We live with peace toward them and kindness and gentleness and faithfulness and the rest. That's the paradigm. If we belong to Christ, we treat one another in this way. That's what the fruit of the Spirit's all about. We manifest the life and the character of Jesus through us to this watching world. Now, there are two other things that have to be noted about this fruit of the Spirit. The first is that it's supernatural. It's fruit that belongs to the Spirit. He's giving it to us, but it's supernaturally produced within us. I mean, think about a farmer. A good farmer can control a lot of things, but a good farmer can't control the sunshine. A good farmer can't control the rain. A good farmer can't control how well the vine and the fruit are connected to each other. It's all, it's all beyond the work of that farmer. And what the fruit of the Spirit tells us is that they are supernatural. There's, there's a way that the Spirit of God produces fruit in us, produces the life of Christ in us as we are connected to Jesus. As we pursue him, as we cultivate those means of grace in our lives, it's the fruit of the Spirit belonging to the Spirit given to you and to me. He's the one who grows them. Now, we have to be, remain connected to Christ. That's when the fruit really begins to take off. If you don't have any fruit in your life and you look around and you say, well, I'm never connected to any of the means of grace. I'm never in my Bible, I'm never at church, I'm, I'm never praying, I'm never enjoying the fellowship of the people of God, I'm not worshiping with them, and I have no fruit. What's going on? I wonder well, how that's happening. Well, we put ourselves in the way of the means of God's grace so that the Spirit supernaturally changes us as we're together, as we fellowship, as we read the Word, as we worship together. As we are focused on Christ, He changes us. You see, we love better when we are connected to and seeking and worshiping the Jesus who loves us perfectly. We are patient with one another when we examine how patient Jesus is with us. We are kind to one another when we see the kindness of our Savior offering mercy in the face of our sin. We're faithful to one another when we see how faithful Jesus is to us when we, we abandon our obligations all the time. See, as we have our hearts and our minds meditating on pursuing, knowing Jesus through the power of the Spirit, we are shaped like that too. As we gaze upon Christ, the Spirit transforms us into his image. Are you spending time? Are you seeking these means of grace that the Spirit might supernaturally change you? But the other thing we need to re remember is that growing in the fruit is slow. Sometimes it's really slow. I mean, imagine yourself going to an apple orchard and you're watching the apples grow. <laughs> Can you see it happen? It's almost it's imperceptible. 
And yet, if you take a step back and you examine the seasons, you'll see these branches begin to sprout with flowers and then they're, they're pollinated and the fruit begins to bud and soon enough, the limbs are just laden with apples. But it's slow. If you're watching, waiting for the fruit to grow, sometimes you can't even see it. You'll miss it. And yet, this fruit, the Spirit changes us he transforms us as we meditate on and pursue him with all our hearts take a step back and examine what God has done in your life over a season I was talking to a man this week and uh, he was discouraged in his Christian walk because he said I don't feel like I'm able to defeat these sins like I want to be able to defeat these sins one of them was impatience in his life and You get it, right? I asked him to take a step back and ask, think of what your wife would say about you 10 years ago versus today. And he said, oh, I'm a very different person. She would say this and this and this and this. That sounds like fruit of the Spirit to me. It's slow. And yet by the supernatural work of the Spirit of God, he changes us, he transforms us, even when we remain impatient about being patient. He still is at work within us. In five years from now, he's gonna be different even more because the Spirit of God is at work. That's how he does it. Supernaturally and slowly, he makes us more and more and more like Jesus. So what does the tree of your life look like? Is it sickly and droopy and filled with thorns? And if anybody gets close, you better watch out. I'm going to prick. That's you. Turn to Christ. Turn to him once again. If you're struggling with fruit in your life, turn to Jesus and remember that you have been redeemed by his work on that bloody cross and the empty tomb. And now that same Jesus who was crucified and was raised from the dead has ascended to heaven and he sits on the throne And he says, you belong to him. And he's made you new. And not only has he done that, he sent his spirit to enter into your life right now to remind you of who you are and to enable you to fight in this trench warfare with your flesh and to set your feet on the path of righteousness. Walk in the spirit, repent, believe, and fight and experience his life within you. Let's pray. Father, we all desperately need your work. So would you fill us with your spirit, enable us to follow after you, Jesus. Make us more and more like Christ, a people of these fruit, Lord. When the world looks at us, they see a manifestation of Jesus. Do it in us as individuals. Do it within us as a body here in our church, Lord. Change us by your supernatural work, Holy Spirit, we ask in Christ's name. Amen.